Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to DSC's Untamed Heritage, the unique blend of hunting, conservation, and the outdoor lifestyle. Delivered in an entertaining and informative fashion, as only a veteran outdoorsman can do. DSC's Untamed Heritage is brought to you by Dallas Safari Club. Conservation, education, protecting hunters' rights. Hornady, accurate, deadly, dependable. Trigicon, brilliant aiming solutions. Texas-raised hunting products, the scent gods. Burnham Brothers Game Calls, calling his calls made. Double Nickel Taxidermy, where hunting memories are preserved. Now here's your host, Larry Wysoon. Gentlemen, Mr. Brian Hawkins, Steve, Mark McDonald, and Steve's dad, Gary Burnham. <laughs> Gary Burnham. Gary Burnham. We're changing your name right now. <laughs> Steve Robertson. I, I knew I was going to catch y'all somewhere. So. Not only did he put your name, you're last. <laughs> that's okay. I'm, that's okay. As long as I'm there. That's, well, well, we're all here, and I, and I am messing with you. This is a group of gentlemen that I've had a, had a pleasure of knowing, probably known Brian for a long, long time, and he didn't know I knew him. <laughs> Steve, I've known for years, and Mark, Mark and I go back to about 1970, middle 70s, and when he was the uh, outdoor writer for the Brian. Not, not true. I was in Abilene, and I was three years old. You were three years old. That's <laughs> that's reading your column read the way that it did, right? There it is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Y'all had just launched a book that is absolutely. Fantastic, Gary, you're the primary author of that. And I say primary because I know that some of these guys provided photographs and, and uh, you've been dealing particularly with Brian. And, of course, Steve's been around since day one. Forever. <laughs> Forever. Since I saw him born. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me the title of the book and then we'll, let's talk about it a little bit. The title of the book is Eyes Front. And uh, the reason that we named the book Eyes Front is back and uh, I think it was early 2000s, we did a video series for Mossy Oak. And we did it for five years. We did one 
video each year and they were how-to videos and it was about calling predators. And they were the ones that came up with the, the title Eyes Front because that is what describes a predator. You know, they, they have the eyes in the front of the skull uh, and by a system of triangulation, a predator can, predator can judge distance, making it easier for them to catch their prey. So I thought, you know, let's, let's do a kind of a, a throwback and use that same title. And uh, I hope it works, so we'll wait and see. <laughs> I got a feeling. That, well, what, what made you finally want to do a book? I know that you've talked about it a time or two, but uh, who, who was your primary urger, shall we, shall we say? There would not be a book if it was not for my wife. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> uh, I knew the truth would come out. <laughs> the truth serum and, right and, there. And, you know, uh, I'd, I'd written, you know, for a number of years. Absolutely. I'd written for Mark back in the sports, uh, Texas Sporting Journal days and and uh, mm -hmm. and some for some Predator magazines and then other pr publications. And so I had I had a lot of articles but I you know those were written for magazines not really for books so I knew there was going to be a, a lot of work to kind of change them over and put them in a format that was better for the book and I you know Deb said we're going to do you're going to do a book one of these days and I always said yes ma'am we <laughs> yes, are ma <laughs> I kept kicking that can down the road you know and if Mark hadn't have walked into my office last January I would still be kicking that can down the road. Don't blame it on me now. <laughs> That's not fair. Because Deb had, had met Mark when he came into the store, and, 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 and of course, uh, I heard Mark's name mentioned, so I went out to visit, and Deb kind of went to the back to, to do whatever she was doing. But in the conversation with Mark and I, she heard Mark say that he was in the publishing business. Well, bam, here she comes. <laughs> the light bulb went on, right? And because uh, that was what was really holding her up. Right. Was, we need a publisher. Right. And so when Mark, we found out that Mark was doing it, it was only natural to go back and let an old buddy, you know, work with us. And here we are. So here comes Deb's talons <laughs> right in the middle, right in between your shoulder blades right there. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, she missed me. <laughs> I don't know how she did that. Lucky, to be honest with you. <laughs> Man. But uh, we were trying to, you know, once we decided, okay, we're going to do it, then we decided, okay, we needed to get the book out in short order so we'd have it for some of the hunting shows. Well, of course, COVID took care of that, but it, it did cause us to, like Mark said, do a year-long project in three months. And so we, thank goodness we got it behind us. Uh, we've got books on, you know, in at the store, uh, and they and believe it or not, we're selling some of them. So that's a good thing. I think you, when it's all said and done, you're going to be doing numerous printings of this book. I want to come back to that a little bit, but let's go back to, to Brian over here. You and Brian have been dealing with each other for a long time, and for those of y'all, you, you probably have seen a lot of Brian's work and didn't really realize. I mean, this is one of the premier, as far as I'm concerned, he is the premier videographer there is. Steve's running right behind him very close. And all reading, they're not running neck to neck yet. It's because he's not quite as old as this gentleman over here is. Or still. But, <laughs> he's the best. Tell me about the relationship, because it goes back a long way. The first time I heard Brian's name was years ago, 
And actually, we were on a varmint hunt, a predator hunt down in South Texas, and you came down to film, and I was with you guys for about 15 minutes that day. God, that had first, to be 30 years ago. It's at least 30 years ago, yeah. God, so tell me a little bit about that relationship. Well, Gary probably doesn't know some of this, but in 1985, I was living in Dallas, and I was already working in television. But I, I was one of these guys who never hunted when he was a kid and had nobody to take me hunting, but yet I wanted to go. And I lived in the hotbed of liberal radicalism, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, where oh if you just goodness. mentioned the word hunt, you were kicked out of town. <laughs> and that's the way it is now. It makes Austin look like a conservative community. Oh, my gracious. But I was shooting a bicycle race, a 24-hour bicycle race. I was based in Dallas. And I noticed on the schedule that we were supposed to stop in Marble Falls. And I thought... I want to meet Murray Burnham. This was in 1985. So it was a Friday afternoon, five minutes to five. And me and one of the other guys were on the crew. We went by Murray's place there in Marble Falls and met Murray Burnham. And Murray said, well, I want to do a turkey video. You know, I said, well, we're your guys. (laughs) Don't know anything about turkeys, but we know a lot about cameras. (laughs) So we started going down and shooting film with Murray, 16 millimeter film with Murray Burnham. And one time, and we were shooting some video also. He had bought a little video camera. One time he came back and he said, I just came back from Menard and met this nice guy, Gary Robertson. And, you know, I said, well, tell me about Gary. Well, let me show you the video. So I saw these deer, this video of deer. I've never killed a deer in my life. I was 26 years old, 27 years old. And so he, I, I said, well, I'd love to go hunting out there. He said, well, call Gary and talk to him. <laughs> so I called Gary, and, and we did a trade-out of some video work for the county to promote yeah. the county's hunting or something. And and then I sort of became a leech. And then he moved in. Uh, <laughs> that was, in, I think, was it 88 when you started moving That was December in? of 87. December of 87, okay. And every weekend, Brian would drive in from Dallas, and we left the back door open. And he would come in whatever hour and go to bed, and then the next morning we'd go hunt and do something. <laughs> and the only thing that really hacked me off Uh-oh. all that time was he got a little bit lax in closing that back door. One night he came in close to midnight. Deb and I are still in bed because we know Brian will show up. We're laying in bed, got you know about half asleep because I heard the door open right, and close. Right, right. He had let a bat in the house. I hear this whoosh right over. Well, actually, Deb heard it first. It went over our head. We're laying in bed. And I said, I thought to myself, that was a bat. Well, he, he's carrying gear in and out. Well, he leaves the door open. Sure enough, a bat came in the house. Well, that's, I'm not a tennis player, but I found a tennis racket. And I found the, the, the perfect use for a tennis racket. That bat came by, and by that time, I'd already let Brian know that there was a bat in the house, <laughs> and I killed that bat with a tennis racket. Served an ace. There we right. go. That's the only time I've ever done well with a tennis racket. But you did that time. I did that time. And then from that time on, he was just part of the family. That, like I said, I know you guys have been a lot. And, of course, Steve, when did you start filming, Steve? I was fortunate enough to learn from the best, which is Brian. And Absolutely. He's always going to be the best, in my opinion. He's... His experience in things even outside of hunting are just so great. And uh, I was fortunate enough that he allowed me to learn under him. What and year was that? Whew, 12 years ago? Something like that. that. Yeah. Probably 08. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. I, I don't think a lot of people realize, you know, 
how skilled Brian is at one time when back in the early days, Brian was still working for, you know, WFA out of Dallas, but he was doing the promos for Neiman Marcus and American Airlines. And then what I, the one gig he never invited me on that I really wanted on, he produced and directed the Miss USA pageant three That's times. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, but he didn't get me any part of that. <laughs> he didn't, he no. didn't even invite you to come, you know, to, to critique a little bit or anything? Not at all. Not Steve at all. wanted to come real bad. <laughs> that's, what he, that's when he said, oh, I think I'm ready to learn video. <laughs> hey, thanks a lot. I guess I didn't make the cut. Yeah, no, you didn't make, didn't make Sorry, the cut Mark. either, by God. Nice. <laughs> well, we were talking earlier today, having some barbecue that, that uh, Gary and, and, and Steve had put together is out of this world. You were mentioning, Brian, that you were involved with a show that will now be on the air 50 years. Is that right? Texas Country Reporter. It's, you know, if you're in Texas and you've been raised in Texas, uh, surely, you know, you've heard of the TV show. And it's just a ripoff of an old reporter that used to work at CBS News many years ago named Charles Kuralt. Absolutely. Well, yeah. there was a there was a reporter in Dallas back 19 years old named Bob Phillips back in 1971, something like that. Mm. And Bob Phillips just said, I want to do the stories that Charles Kuralt does. And they gave him a little show at 6.30 p.m. on Saturdays in Dallas. And he called it Four Country Reporter. And he started that. And, and finally, throughout the years and the changes in 1986, they went statewide. And uh, it's been statewide syndicated since 1986. And now we're on national uh, channel, the RFD network on Friday nights. And it's still going strong, fixing to be 50 years old. That so. is unbelievable when you think about it. I, I don't know of anybody else of any, yeah. <laughs> of any TV genre that's been around that long. <laughs> well, we went and did a story a little while ago on a lady we had done a story on 30 years ago. And while we were standing there, she goes, not only did the reporter come back 30 years later, he brought the same camera guy <laughs> from 30 years ago. Now, you talk about, I'm talking about you guys have a relationship. But we just put a show together for Carnivore. Of course, Carnivore runs on the Pursuit Channel. Right. But we just did a show last weekend looking back on a video that Gary and I did in 1995 calling all varmints. It came out in 95, but we had been shooting since Prior to, like yes. 1990, you know, or 89 with Ken Tucker in, in yeah, South Ken Texas. Ken Tucker, man, I hadn't heard so that name in years. We were dealing with 30-year-old video, and that was so much fun, putting that back on the air on, on Carnivore that we had done for Calling All Varmints. Of course, Gary looked a lot different back then. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I did. Whoa. Well, it's those hats. You know, back yeah. then, those hats yeah, were like then, everybody wore those <laughs> train conductor hats. Real, real tall. tall. Crown. Yeah, no, I, I, I remember those, too. <laughs> but that was fun, putting Frosty. that back together and just thinking that we've been shooting video together all these years. That's chasing, chasing these predators. And I still hadn't figured them out, but uh, <laughs> I think Gary has. Uh, what, do you, what do you think? Have you figured them out, Gary? No, I think, you know, I think I know more than I did 40 or 50 years ago, but I think when a guy gets to the point where he thinks he has it figured out, you're making a big mistake. I think a guy needs to keep changing, keep adapting, and like I say, the guy that thinks he knows it all is 
he's not learning anymore and uh, it's, maybe he needs to quit the game. <laughs> you know, to me, they're kind of like big old white-tailed deer. The, oh, the mature yes. deer. That every time you think you've got one figured out, he's going to teach you a new lesson. Yes. And if you've got to go into it with that learning. And that's one of the things that I, I think you mentioned maybe even in the book. But I've had the opportunity to hunt with Gary off and on for quite a few years. And the one thing that always totally amazed me about hunting with uh, with Gary Robertson was the fact that I learned something every time I went out with him, something new. And I, I come from a hunting background. I've got wildlife management, years and years of experience. Hunted a lot of different places, but every time I went with Gary, I learned something new and practical. And particularly on the practical side of things, it was something that, that I could use or that I could explain to other people that they could use, whether it had to do with hunting white-tailed deer or hunting mule deer, hunting whatever the case was, and, and quite often the, the predator side of things. It's just been phenomenal in that respect. And I think what you mentioned a while ago, too, it is a continual learning process. Yeah, you can't, you can't stop learning, no matter what your age. you got to keep going. you got to keep changing. Got, you know, now we're, you know, I don't know what else there is for me to learn, but now we've got different equipment. You and know, we'll come, that, that is huge. I mean, we're going to come back to that a little bit later. Mark, tell me a little bit about your involvement in the book. Obviously, you showed up at, at uh, Burnham Brothers and Menard, and, and uh, Miss Deb got claws in him, missed you in the process. Well, the, next she, thing we know, she is a dynamo, and anybody knows her, then they understand what started, what started happening. First of all, she bowled over her own husband, and then I was next in line. <laughs> And, and she grabbed me by the lapel, uh-huh. you know, and yes. she's about a foot shorter than I am, but man. Well, more she, than that. What a grip, she, right? She, uh, <laughs> she meant business. And uh, and I salute her because uh, she and, and uh, son Steve, not my son, her son, Steve, really provided a lot of energy behind the project. And as we... As we continued to kind of go along here, it it was like um, chewing on a on a on a cheap sirloin. The more the longer I had it in my mouth, and I was chewing on it, chewing on it, it just got bigger and bigger and bigger in my mouth. <laughs> kind of like eating all day. Yeah, 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 like eating a javelina. <laughs> and and what I can say is that photographs from Steve and and from our our mutual friend Dave Richards. And from Pecos Hagler, the the scope of the work in the book not only got broader, but it also got deeper. And uh, along the way, the the book got deep, it got a whole lot better, and I didn't get paid anymore. <laughs> I didn't get, you know. I'm glad we negotiated yeah. that on the front end. <laughs> That's <Lord>. right. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're kind of scratching your head. Like, how, did, how did this come about, right? Who negotiated this deal? <laughs> <laughs> Gary, uh, I mean, I, I know there's so many stories because I've, I've listened to some of them in the past when you and I were together. How did you come to choose the ones that are in the book? And particularly, I mean, you started at the front of it because you talked in, in the beginning of the book about your first experience about calling a coyote. Or maybe a fox, if I remember right. The very first, yeah, that very first thing I ever called up was a gray fox. And uh, that was, you know, I was 10 years old and 
but the very, you know, it, I was fortunate the very first time I tried it, it worked. And when I saw that, it was truly magic because that was the first fox I had ever seen on the, our ranch in South Texas. I didn't know we had gray fox. I They're not many there, yeah. Right, because the coyotes will eat the fox. But that seeing that fox was like, like I say, it was truly magic, and that's what that it built a fire in me that, you know, still burns today. It's just like every time you go out, you you think you have this game figured out, and you see something you've never seen before, and uh, and I, that's what I love about the calling game is it's so unpredictable, and you never know what's going to show up. You hope something does because. You make about five or six to ten dry calls in a row, then you want to start thinking about taking up ping pong or something. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that the calling game has always been just so interesting to me, and, and and watching animal behavior. Larry, one thing that has impressed me about everybody along this row here is that they've had some staying power. You know, they have done something well enough, long enough to make it stick. But all of these guys have been very close to nature and, and uh, on Mother Nature's terms. And I think that in this book, that that point is proven out time after time. And, and I, whether you're hunting uh, ducks or or white-tailed deer or anything, it, it really pays big dividends to be able to get close in your pursuit to what you're chasing. And these guys have done it with camera, with with uh, calls, and they've and they've done it well for a long period of time. So that's that's the key point that I drew from the work in this book with Gary and them. No doubt, no doubt, you're right. Well, it. You know, you hit on the deer a little bit, but you know, when I start out the book, of course, you, know, you wrote the forward, Larry, which was well, great, I was and I so appreciate that honored to so do that, much believe me. because of our great friendship. But you know, the first part of the book is is actually turkey calling, and, right? And I don't claim to be a turkey caller; I claim to be a turkey hunter. Uh, but I, I I was fortunate to have hunted with some of the best. I you know I got to go with. The Cus Stricklands and the Toxie Hayes and the Bob Dixons and and, uh, and several Brady. world champions and Bruce but Brady. Then, Bruce Brady, you know, yeah. all, the way I describe Bruce Brady is, who was the dearest friend of mine, was he was the Michael Jordan, you know, of turkey hunting. He was he was the best, and uh, but he was such a fanatic about the game that if he found out about a bad turkey in Georgia, he'd catch a flight to Georgia, <laughs> you know, and try to kill that turkey right, that right. no one can kill. And uh, That's so an he, illness right there. That was, it was. <laughs> I don't know how and you it was. Oh. It's great. I, Miss Peg I called me yesterday. Really? I, I sent her oh one gosh. of the books. That's Bruce's wife. She turned 85 on Monday. Fantastic. And, uh, how cool. Just visiting with her and, you know, oh. reliving some of those hunts and, you know, that, that's what people don't, a lot of the guys or people that are aren't in hunting, they're like, you know, how can you kill an animal? Well, to me, it's not about the animal. It's about those people, those relationships that, that we develop and the people that we hunted with, those are priceless. You know, 
that's what the anti-hunter doesn't see. They don't understand. But, you know, one thing I do regret is what, you know, a boy I grew up with was Jimmy Lyles. And, you know, he took my kids when I was out guiding hunters and he took them deer hunting. And I never really got him in the book. And I regret that. But, you know, it was uh, just one of those things. But, you know, another one, you know, people that you just grew up with and, and, and they're part of the family. So uh, that's that's what I think we need to really need to to get to get people involved in hunting we need to preach that a little bit more and we need to preach respect for the game and i Thank just you. wrote an article Thank for you. trophy hunters is and i know you know you preach that larry you know we've got to preach respect and uh so i hope i hope that comes across in the book and, it, do, uh, it does it so, does because that's what i i wanted to i wanted to it to be somewhat of a how-to but you know, I want to. I want to try to bring more people into this game. We we need to for their sake, not just for our sake. Because right. anybody My, that comes out and goes hunting, and to me, as you and I have discussed, and, and and a few others in the past, predator hunting is one of those ideal ways to introduce somebody to the great outdoors in so many different ways. It's it it's it inexpensive. You know, it is. you can do it year round. It uh, doesn't take a lot of sophisticated equipment to do it. You can do it with a hand call. So, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's the way I started my boys in hunting. I've got Steve's the youngest one, and, uh, you know, there's no better way to start a kid in hunting than predator hunting. Well, I think we're, I don't think one thing that people don't realize, especially folks living in the city or in the suburbs, we're surrounded by predators. And if you don't believe it, just watch uh, TV news you're right we, we the, the coyote is so adaptable to begin with and we're finding out the bobcat is very adaptable as well too and I know that the area that I grew up with are in kind of west of Houston about 80 90 miles now today people that live out on the edge of town or just in beyond that can't mm-hmm. keep pets because the coyotes and the bobcats they're they're killing Fido and Tabby, you know, and, and eating them because they are predators. And so I think people are starting to get a different respect for for the predators that we have because of some of that. But you're right, they're everywhere. There, there, there's so many different places that you can do that. You can do it all during the year. There, there's no, unless you're going to sell the furs, there's no certain season. Right. Licenses are, are, you know, just a regular license. Most time will get you into those areas. And, uh, there's just so much fun to, when that coyote comes in or that fox comes in. When you were talking about your first one, I remember mine. I, it was a Burnham Brothers long-range jackrabbit coyote. I've got one in my pocket. I don't go anywhere without one because I never know when there's going to be an opportunity. <laughs> but I grew up out in the country, and so I went across the road, borrowed my dad's thirty thirty. Had seven shells in it, and I walked across the road a little way, and I sat down there and in the kind of a little bottom and started blowing that call. And then all of a sudden, here comes this coyote, and we called them wolves because I swore when oh, this yeah. thing were up, ran out toward me, he weighed 300 pounds, you know. <laughs> and I shot seven shots as fast as you can lever those 30, 30 shells through that. Never even came close, and then all of a sudden realized he when last time I shot he was very far still coming on and then finally he turned and he ran over there a little bit and kind of ran behind some brush 
And the first thing I did is I looked for the more shells. Didn't have any more shells, but I had a hunting knife with me. I grabbed that hunting knife, and I'm, I'm waiting for this <laughs> thing to come in the rest of the way. And I backed all the way home because thinking this guy with the way he run in, it come into it. I mean, those things make an impression oh, upon you. <laughs> Mark, have you done much prayer to call in the past? Not much. Not much. Sure haven't. But I sure learned a lot uh, working this book. With Gary and them. No doubt you did. The, the, you mentioned the photography then there. The photography is fantastic. And there's a, uh, I'm not going to tell you, but there's a sequence in there toward the front of coyotes that if anybody that's interested in wildlife, not just necessarily coyotes, mm -hmm. but there's a sequence of photographs in there that I'd never, ever seen anything like it in the past anywhere. Well, so yes, and I and I know what you're pointing out. And, and uh, Steve was kind enough to pull that together for us it's a coyote fight i'd never seen a coyote fight um and it and it was uh eye-opening to me and it just wildlife behavior you know it's one thing to take a portrait of say a cardinal in a perched in a tree but when that cardinal has a, a big old seed between between its beak that's behavior, and that's the next level of photography, and that's what that's what Steve brought to this project is the next level of that wildlife behavior, and that's terrific. I can't wait for I can't wait for readers to to see it. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things we're going to look at. You know, I had no earthly idea this ever happened. I've yeah. never seen. And again, like me, I've never seen anything. Broad like daylight. That. Yeah. I've spent a lot of time out in the woods over the years where we had a lot of coyotes. You know, never, have never ever never. saw anything even close to that. Me neither. Me neither. Brian, with all the years that that, that you have filmed with uh, Mr. Gary over here, uh, I'm not going to call him Gary Burnham right now, although he, <laughs> he does he does own I'll Burnham. Anything. Burnham game. Let's go to the courthouse and change his name. <laughs> I think we will. Then. Just so you, know, you won't be wrong. You're missing the boat here. You're missing the boat here because I'm talking about a second book that's done by Gary Burnham <laughs> instead of Gary Robertson. Okay. <laughs> See, there it is. <laughs> Brian, any one particular time that you were with Gary when y'all were calling predators or turkeys because they're covered in the book as well to that really stands out to you well so many of them uh they all stand out to me I, well I, and, and i know I love, believe me it's gosh, tough to narrow anything down like that i just i actually what i like to do is go out with with steve and gary and i like to be the second camera you know steve's in charge i like to back off and get get beauty shots try to get maybe an over the shoulder try to get something that they they might miss which is kind of silly because all I did this last trip was spook coyotes <laughs> that they were trying to call for the camera. Okay. And, <clears throat> but anyway, that's what I really enjoy doing is just going out with them and being the second camera and just trying to get trying to get some footage but letting them do their thing. So you don't understand about Steve. We used to watch these old Marty Stauffer films where Marty oh, Stauffer would yes. show a bobcat on the top of the snow and he'd say, that bobcat can hear the heartbeat of a mouse six feet beneath the snow. <laughs> and I was so, in, I was like a kid, I was like, oh, can they really do that? I guess they can. But Steve is like that bobcat with his eyes. Steve can be looking out over 14 miles of, of West Texas broken nothingness and see the flicker of an eyelash on a coyote <laughs> at about a mile and a half and zoom, he's on it. And I've, I'm still trying to learn how to do that. But he's got an eye for movement. 
And uh, it's pretty impressive. I know when I get his footage, I know when I hit see a clip that he has shot and it's a wide shot, I know it's fixing to happen. <laughs> it's fixing to slam into something way out of there that's barely made a, mo- a move. That's pretty impressive. And I don't ever get tired of seeing that. <laughs> I can imagine. I've, I've seen him do it, too. Like when we were out there in lower panhandle, Remember that one that came in that nobody else hardly saw except for Steve? I never saw it. Yeah. <laughs> Steve, what do you look for? I mean, is it just a knack that you have? Or are you looking for Is it because you're looking through the camera? It, it's or? any unnatural motion, anything that's, you know, you don't have a whole lot of horizontal lines in, in nature. So seeing anything flat line is good to see. But Brian is kind of kidding there because every time that we – hunt together after we kill a coyote first thing we and him talk about is when did you see it first <laughs> well, and of course Brian always claims I saw it first oh. Oh. of course and I do the same but then we've got to examine each other's video and see who's being honest <laughs> yeah well there is there is proof there That's uh, what... yeah we had an owl fly in in South Texas a couple several weeks ago and I'm sitting there to the far left and I'm thinking this is one of those spots where you know something's fixing to happen the sun's going down. It's perfect. Everything's perfect. And I look to my left, and I see this gigantic, what, great horned owl? Is that what yeah, it's called? It okay. Flying I see this cat. beautiful, beautiful <laughs> owl in the tree. And I went, I can't believe those guys don't see this. <laughs> and I swing, and I get to focus, and I'm zoomed in on that. It's perfect owl footage. And when it was over, I was like, well, ah, y'all look at that owl. And Steve said, uh, we'd already gotten tired of looking at him by the time you finally swung over there and saw him. <laughs> and in the video, there's a video, there's a shot of the owl, and I'm looking completely the other direction. There was doing, doing circle eights in the sand in front of me. I thought, my gosh, I, I spotted that first, but they had already gotten bored with the owl by the time I saw it. Well, I knew I saw that before you said to rub it in. They're getting you in the sand. <laughs> It was such a rare occurrence. What well, a you, you kind of mentioned a bobcat with that owl. One years ago, I was had a hunter with me, and we were down in South Texas, and uh, they were from up. I think they were from the Chicago area, and uh, I was calling. You know, in those days, I was using hand calls. And right. Still love hand calls, but. Uh, was trying. The guy wanted to kill a bobcat really bad. Well, I'd been calling for about five or ten minutes, and I have him in front of me, and we're kind of looking down a big sendera, and then there was an intersection there, and there was a little sendera going back left and right. Well, I seen all of a sudden I'd seen an owl fly in a tree over here to my right, uh, old snag mesquite, and. You know, like so many times late in the evening, they'll come to a call. Well, that owl's sitting up there in that mesquite tree, and all of a sudden, I see my guy raise his gun, and he's pointing it kind of up. Oh, no. <laughs> and he fires. And he jumps up, and he said, I got him. And I said, what'd you get? He said, I, a, a bobcat came in and ran up that tree, and I shot him <laughs> out of that tree. Oh, good grief. I said, oh, my gosh. I said, that was an owl. <laughs> and he said, no, it was not. Uh, that was a bobcat. I know I saw his ears. <laughs> I, said, I had to climb in that thicket, get under that mesquite tree, and I fished his bobcat out. He'd shot a great horned owl out of that tree. <laughs> oh. Thank goodness, statue of limitations. <laughs> <laughs> 
because this was 30 years ago, but, oh. you know, that's what you get sometimes. No wonder no taxidermist wanted to mount the body. <laughs> you know, I don't know how many taxidermists he hauled into. <laughs> <laughs> they do, however. I mean, they look really like a dead gum bobcat. Even at, a lot of folks used to call it night. Yeah. And you'd see those little big eyes. and Big eyes and, big, and you could see the little And then you could see the tufts in the ear and everybody go, oh, my God. And there several times I'd seen an owl fly in and uh, set up and grab the guy before he shot the, shot the <laughs> owl. But it was that close to coming to him. Yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit. We mentioned, you mentioned about the the bobcat hearing the mouse heartbeat under the snow. <laughs> now, Gary, you've been doing a lot of research through several other people, and with the new call that you have out, it is based on basically kind of what Brian was talking about. It is, it is because uh, this call is based on ultrasonics, being able to produce those frequencies above what a human can hear. And the human can, ear can hear when we were young, when we, <laughs> yes, before we fired all them. these guns off, we could hear up to about 20,000 hertz. Well, a coyote hears to 45,000 and felines hear to 64,000. We know that a lot of the distress sounds made by, by the prey animals are going way above that. In fact, the very first baby cottontail we recorded went over 90,000 hertz. Oh my gracious. Uh, simple lip squeak, I can go over 50,000 hertz. And a lot of the calls that we're using, especially the mini blaster, we're getting 45 to 50,000 hertz, which is, that's getting realistic sound. So what we're finding is we're, we're achieving so much greater calling success because we're able to produce those realistic sounds. But, Going back to Brian was talking about a rat under the snow or whatever. What a lot of people, what I didn't realize is when a, like a rat or whatever is scratching, they claim that also goes ultrasonic. Really? To a level we don't hear, but that, that's why, uh, you know, fox or coyotes, anything uh, can hear that sound down in the ground or under the snow. Without even if that animal's not that rat isn't squeaking or whatever, if he's in there scratching, they hear those that sound in those high frequencies, and that's one thing I noticed one time was when we I have a way to analyze sounds there at the store, and just by simply dragging my fingernails across the uh, desk, I was able to hit ultrasonic sounds, which was crazy to me. I knew the vocals, vocalizations were right. doing it, but I didn't realize right. that friction was doing it as well. I've been fortunate to be an African watch bat-eared foxes, and I can recall on several times where we were sitting glassing looking for a cootie or whatever, and there's a little flat out there, and here comes this bat-eared fox. And he, he's walking kind of like with his head, with one ear pointed to the ground to start with, and then he turned his head to the other side like he was listening at the ground. And he's out there a little way, and all of a sudden his head goes all the way to the ground, and he starts scratching. He starts scratching. And I've watched those things dig almost two feet and then pull out a, a, a rat or something. So obviously that was That's the same situation doing. there. Yeah, they, they hear that, that scratching, that, that, that sound. And I didn't, but 
I wasn't surprised they could hear the scratching sound right. because we can hear some of that. Yeah, but, but not I didn't to realize that. that it went to such frequencies. Crazy. Hmm. What? What? You mentioned what can a bobcat or a coyote go to? As far as uh, the frequencies levels that they can hear, the peaks, like say, uh, canines typically around the forty-five thousand range. Some you know a little higher than that maybe, uh, but felines that sixty. 64,000 is about where they are. Uh, of course, bats go over a hundred thousand. Right. Whales go, you know, certain whales go over that as well. Uh, but all, while deer, they say here best at the ranges like eight to twelve thousand. I think is frequency is what they hear best. But they can also hear up to like forty thousand. But I think what, you know, what separates the the predator from you know let's face it the deer is a prey animal right you know he's he's what the animal you know the predators are chasing but predators really focus on those frequencies and especially a coyote that's been messed with you know when we started recording sounds back in the 1950s on 78 records we were able to achieve you know 17 18,000 hertz which was great. That's all we were trying to do is appease the human ear. Well, it wasn't until we came out with this new ultrasonic recording equipment or was able to use that and build a caller that can produce those sounds that we're able to actually replicate the sounds, the realistic sound that that prey animal is making. So it's, it's really, it all goes back to common sense. For the first time ever, we're going to be able to reproduce that actual animal recording. And the cool thing is, we can look at it on the oscilloscope or this little, you know, uh, bat recorder app that I have, and you can actually see a photograph of the sound. It gives you the ability to see the sound. He can prove it. We, right. So you can right. prove it up. Beyond a shadow of a doubt that the rogue caller is the, you know, it's humbling the rogue caller, it's the first ultrasonic caller on the face of the earth. At this moment, at this time in history, any digital caller is absolutely obsolete. Absolutely. Is that correct, Gary? That's obsolete. true, because yeah. they all hit the same frequency. Yeah, they only yeah. go to a certain level and that's it. It's that's just it. like it reaches the ceiling and you can't go any farther than that. I mean, Gary has a has a limit on his brag, bragging ability. He won't brag on it as, no. as hot as some other people will, <laughs> but it's pretty cool that for the absolute first time ever, the, the critters out there are actually hearing the sound the way it's supposed to sound. And that's that changes the whole game. It does. To me, it's going to open the doors to a lot of these folks where they have in the past used whatever electronic game call that they've been using and only gone to a certain level. They may be able to go in there now with the road caller and call in coyotes and bobcats that previously they would have never had a chance at. That's true. That's true. And we're seeing that now. In fact, you know, I hunt a lot of the same ranches every year because, right. you know, they're friends of ours and we go down and do predator work for them. And we had gotten to the point where I couldn't go in there with my old traditional electronic calls and have any success. So about three years ago, I had abandoned using electronic callers. I had gone strictly to hand calls again because I could hit those realistic frequencies. And I went, once I did that, 
suddenly I was productive again. Now I'm back to killing coyotes, which is what they wanted me to do. But this year, we went back in there with electronics using the Rogue that will hit those frequencies, and it was all magic again. <laughs> Here they came again. So it's, it's, it, it has made it a new game. Even for a guy that's done it for as long as I have, it's, I'm seeing things I've never seen before. And uh, so that's, that's what's made it fun. Here, not too long ago, the, the, you sent a photograph of an old coyote that you shot, that you called in. Tell me a little bit about that one. And what made that coyote so special in your eyes? Well, what made it special is uh, the, the smartest animal on any ranch that I hunt is the old female coyote. Now, I hate to say this, but the female is the smartest, especially <laughs> in that world. And don't tell Miss Deb I said no, that. I, but, I'll never say a word, I promise. <laughs> but she, she is. She's the most intelligent. And to be able to call one up that is, you know, has her teeth wear was incredible. So I know she's got to be probably seven or eight years old. She's heard me before. I call that same ranch every year. You know, and I had not been able to get her killed. Normally, when you can kill that female is the first time, that old female like that is the very first time you go into her territory. If you don't get her killed that time, normally you don't get her killed. So to be able to call her up and kill her was pretty incredible. What, another thing that I was fascinating on that stand was, and Brian and Steve were both there, I was the wind was not exactly right. The right. wind was kind of blowing out a little bit more than I wanted it. And I always like to call with a crosswind or wind in my, a little breeze in my face. But as you do and I do, I've started using this predator death grip from uh, Texas Ray's hunting products. And I had sprayed it around the call knowing because I knew the wind wasn't right. And what was amazing, that female it took her about 10 minutes to get there. She came a little late in the call. And when I see her coming, I can barely see her ears coming over the, there was a little, some weeds and grass there. She's bouncing to get in there. She rolled right up on top of that call. You know, she was sold on it. And when she saw the call, I had it sitting up on a, a kind of a stump there. She shied off of it, I think, cause it didn't look right. She was expecting to see a rabbit and here's a box. So she shied off a little bit and she whizzed, she was downwind of the call like you would expect her to be. Right. But since I had missed it there, normally if I had not missed it, she would have been in the next county immediately. Instead of running off and hiding where we'd never see her again, she runs about 10 steps and stops and marks. And I was, I have never seen that before. And it had to be simply because she smelled that that take, that predator death grip. Right. Because she, I got her there with the sound, but it was her nose that that tricked her. That that product tricked her and gave me a shot because she came so hard and was going so fast. I don't know if I was going to be able to kill her. And typical of an old old coyote or any animal, you know. They're smaller as with age, just like we kind of yeah, melt we down. Go downhill too. That yeah. female was was tiny. You would have thought, oh, that's this year's pup, till you looked in her mouth, 
and she didn't have any teeth. And so that, that for all this year that I hunted, that was the, the greatest trophy I took all year. Mm. Not the prettiest, but the greatest trophy. Mm. Beauty is oh. in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> that is the truth. And, and you make a statement in the book about what, what is a trophy? Yeah. Yeah, what, what's your description? Tell me the description that you use in the book, because I thought that was really cool. And I don't even remember what I used in the book, but, uh, you know, what a trophy is to me is it generally goes back to the hunt. You know, what 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 happened on the hunt? And, and uh, you know, of course, age and all, I really, I, you know, if I'm hunting deer, I want to hunt the oldest Absolutely. rascal out there. Absolutely. I don't care what he looks like. I want to, I want to match my wits against theirs. So that's that's what, you know, I I, I define as a trophy. And what well, did, what did I put I, in the I book? I think basically what you said that the person who takes the animal is the one who decides whether or not it's a trophy to him. I did. I, you're exactly right. I did. And to that. me, that was an absolutely fantastic statement because mm-hmm. to me, a trophy is is about is a remembrance of yeah. And that's that's the reason I saved deer antlers and all those others so things so that when I look up on the wall like soon as I can recall every detail about them. And to me they are trophies, whether people like the term trophies or not, kind of thing. But it, it's everybody has to make their own decision whether that animal is a trophy to them. Yeah. I agree. You made the statement and I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> I like it when we agree, partner. <laughs> well, over the years, I found there are very, very few times that I think we've ever even disagreed on anything. <laughs> no, that's true. That is true. That's kind of scary. That is scary in a way. <laughs> Let's get back a little bit to the book before we close this thing out. And I want to come back and do this again very quickly on some other things that I'm thinking about dealing with, with predator hunting particularly. But uh, tell me, first of all, about TV show, and, and Brian and Steve been involved with you with Carnivore. Tell me about the show and not only where it appears, but also where uh, I know you're on some digital platforms that you're, and maybe some others you're looking at. And then we'll talk about the book a little bit more. Well, we're, we're broadcasting our 10th season of Carnivore right now. We air on Pursuit Channel the third and fourth quarters. And uh, I don't know. We were talking today. I, so I, I don't know if I'll be able to make another season or not. Larry, uh, but, come on. <laughs> but uh, uh, it's been fun, you know. Amen. Uh, Amen. Working with Steve, you know, where you have your son involved and your best buddy, uh, like my little brother over there, Brian, don't tell him. But <laughs> anyway, all I, the, won't, it's, I won't. Don't it's, worry. It's been fun and, you know, uh, I don't, I won't say, you never say never, I guess. Amen. But, uh, I, I kind of want to slow down a little bit as far as the TV. Uh, not that we're not going to be shooting video because we are. Right. And, uh, but we'll do, we'll probably do it on a, air it on a few more, maybe YouTube and, a, you know, some of the other uh, platforms that are available today. And uh, because I think it's, I don't want to ever quit learning. And and I and I hope that I don't ever quit teaching. You know, uh, I, I feel like that I can bring something to this game as far as without a doubt showing people, you know, how you know this animal responded and and why he did that and and be somewhat of educational 
education for the guys that are trying to get started. Good point. Absolutely great point. Great point. The book, where can somebody get it? And how's the easiest and quickest way to get one? Because I'll tell you what, folks, you're going to want to get this one quick. <laughs> and you're going to have, this one you're going to hang on to, I promise you. Well, uh, if you're coming through Menard, Texas, which I don't know why you wouldn't be, <laughs> uh, you can stop in at Burner Brothers and you can pick it up right there. But if you're not coming through Menard, then you can just go to www.burnerbrothers.com and uh, you can order them right off that site. Uh, and, you know, down the road, we may, you know, come with some other ways to market the book. But right now, that's, you know, we, the book came in last week. So that's, that's the way it's available right now. Or if you want to, you can just give us a phone call at Burnham Brothers, and, and we'll, we'll be glad, glad to take the order and get her shipped out. And they can do that by going to the website very easily. Easily. Probably. Yes, sir. Fantastic. Brian, you got anything you want to add before we shut this thing down? Well, I think, I think, you know, everybody remembers that favorite teacher when they were in school. And it's not the teacher who gave you all the facts and figures. It's the teacher who inspired you. And I think eyes front, after finally looking at everything put together, it's the right amount of, oh my gosh, I didn't know that, that helps you be a better hunter. But it's also, when you read it, it's like, I want to go do that. And what better gift than inspiration in my book? Amen. Steve, what about you? Just lucky to be here with four legends in my <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you're going to say that, I'm going to say five legends because I've watched your work for a while now and you have earned that legend title as far as I'm concerned. Mark, any words of advice for uh, for future books or somebody that might be listening and says, you know, gosh, that sounds like so much fun. Maybe, maybe I know you publish books every once in a while. Well, I, I got to town on a load of wood. <laughs> but I didn't chop it. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> that's, that's classic. I'll have to remember that one. <laughs> Gary, Mark, Steve, Brian, thank you all so much for joining us. Look forward to everybody joining us right here again next week on DSC's Untamed Heritage. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. DSC's Untamed Heritage is also brought to you by Texas Wildlife Association, working for tomorrow's wildlife today. Wildlife Systems, serving hunters and landowners since 1987. Kenetrek Boots, for the trail less traveled. Ruger, rugged, reliable firearms. Pyramid Air, your one stop for everything air gun. 